I looked at the people who were getting on board and, and hopefully turning this thing in the right direction. And I'm like, you know, they replaced some senior, you know, senior level people. I'm like, okay, it looks like things might be moving you know, well for this organization. And so essentially what occurred after I doubled down, it was roughly about a four or five month period. And then they filed for bankruptcy. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. This episode is sponsored by ASTOTS Academy, which offers online courses that help investors, aspiring professionals, business leaders, and even beginners to improve the finances of their lives and their businesses. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com now to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here with featured guest, Jim Rembach. Jim, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock, and I, I might even roll once or twice, who knows? <laughs> We're going to have some fun. All right, let me tell the audience about you. Jim, Jim Rembach is a customer experience authority and president of Influence to Action, which operates several entities, including... CX Global Media, Call Center Coach Virtual Leadership Academy, Contact Center Virtual Summit, and the Customer Service Weekly. He's the host of the Fast Leader Show, B2B Digital Marketer, and Customer Service Weekly Podcasts. Jim is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner, community specialist, employee retention specialist, and digital marketer. His work as a digital business development expert enables organizations to deliver on the needs of the new digital business development imperative. Jim, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. Uh, well, one tidbit is I actually went to university and double majored in finance and real estate. But when I graduated, it was right in the middle of a recession of 1991. And there was no investment banking jobs for you know, a newly graduate white guy that just, you know, they, there was no, no job opportunities there. So I had to go another direction, but I've always been interested in investing. For me, I had a background while I was even going to school uh, in retail. So I followed that path for a long time and ultimately found myself in customer service and customer care environments and worked my way up in the management ladder. And, and I've been in that industry basically you know, my, my entire career. And, and for me, you know, I have always had that desire to want to complete, you know, my, my initial mission, you know, to be an investment banker. However, I've had to do it on my own personal time. And here's the thing too, when I start thinking about doing that, I, I have to be very careful in regards to taking risks. You talk about safe risks and you talk about getting older. My wife is actually a tax CPA. So Talking about that dynamic in the house can be quite interesting because I'm a finance guy that understands risk reward. She doesn't want that, right? Matter of fact, we went and, and took an exam once talking about how risky are you? A little quiz by the, this guy <clears throat> managing our portfolio at the time. And he came back after we completed our quiz and he looked at my wife and he says, you're more risky than he is. And she says, like, there's no way that's it's impossible. He's the one who's the risk taker. She goes, there's no way I'm more risky than he is. And he looked at her and said, Oh, yes, you are. He goes, because when an opportunity is right in front of you, you won't take it. <laughs> and you sat back and enjoyed that moment. <laughs> well, it highlights something that I teach about in one of my courses, which is called how to start building your wealth, investing in the stock market. And that is 
most people don't talk about the biggest risk, which is shortfall risk. Many people say, oh, I keep my money in the bank because I'm low risk and I don't want to, you know, risk it. But what's happening there is your money's not growing. And therefore, you're exposing yourself to the fact that when you become 60 or 70 and you want to retire, the money is just didn't grow enough. That's exactly right. Mm, yeah. You know, one of the other things I, I kind of want to understand more about what you do, because, you know, it's interesting because when I was in university, I people asked me, why did I study finance? I said, well, you know, I looked at marketing and I thought, oh, you can learn that from a book. I looked at, you know, human resource. I thought, you can learn that from a book. And I thought, eh, accounting, I thought was kind of boring, you know, very fixed. And finance said, you know, became the one that I took. But what I've learned as I've gotten older is marketing is much harder. Customer service, you know, like that, that's like the real differentiator that's so hard. I mean, anybody can calculate formulas and do all that stuff in the world of finance. But that whole thing, and I think, you know, why I was interested also in getting you on the show is to just to tell us a little bit about your experience in that area and kind of what have you learned over the years that you've been involved. So uh, you're, you're exactly right, because the, the complexity comes from dealing with human beings. That's really what it's all about. And when you start getting into the whole globalization of, you know, the marketplace and the economy and whichever way you want to look at it, uh, that complexity is magnified, you know, X times. And while we are human beings from a creature perspective, and there's some predictability to that, you know, there's variances that are going to cause things to go sideways really darn quickly. And that's why a lot of times when we look at investments, we're thinking, oh, you know, hey, that's going to be good for this particular market sector. And then it goes the other direction. You're like, how is that possible? Right. And so I think that's one reason why they say you can't predict the market. Right. Yeah. And it really comes yeah. down from the human part. That's the part that makes it so unpredictable. Okay. I think that that's the point is the human aspect, whether it's marketing, whether it's investing, the human aspect is the challenging. And I just wanted to ask about something else in your bio that I find fascinating is the emotional intelligence, the certified emotional intelligence practitioner. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? Because I mean, the, the value of, of emotional intelligence these days is so critical. So for me, getting into customer service and being in that world and leading of people, you have to be really good in regards to your emotional intelligence skills. It's a requirement. And now it's become vital more than ever when you start talking about remote workforces, when you, you know, start talking about the shrinking, you know, of organizational hierarchies. And so you have a lot of people who are on the periphery who are responsible for big chunks of the business. And it's, and again, it's the human element that's the differentiating factor. And I would became certified through an organization out of Canada called MHS. And the reason I chose to go down the path to be certified through MHS is because they have the largest database on emotional intelligence in the world. They've been doing it the longest and they have the most in-depth understanding of it. And there's a whole lot of analytics around it. And they talk about 54 competencies that's associated with emotional intelligence. One that we hear a lot of, for example, is empathy. Empathy, empathy, empathy. Well, that's only one of the 54 companies, <laughs> right? While it is an important one, and it's a vital one when you start talking about customer experience and customer care and, you know, really understanding even market, you know, market movements, you know, because you're trying to understand why people do the things they do, why they buy the things they do, why they are attracted to particular brands, why they're attracted to particular sectors, while all these things that come into play. 
I think bringing quite frankly, it's, it's made me a little bit better, you know, investor, um, mm. you know, start talking about going through this whole co forced COVID thing, you know, like what could possibly be impacted that people don't readily see. Right. And you really have to get down to the people element to say, you know, okay, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? What are they seeing? What do they see as their threats? What do they see as their opportunities? And really break it down in that way. I do something that is called retrospective engineering in a lot of ways. I use it in my marketing a lot. When you start talking about retrospective engineering, it's like, okay, what is the ultimate action that we want to have happen? Okay. And then what you do is you start working backwards from there in order to be able to say, okay, for this to happen, this is the path that needs it. And it's a big puzzle. And that's one of the reasons why I, I, lo I love, you know, dealing with human beings. It's one big, massive puzzle. <laughs> Retrospective engineering is so powerful. And, and even today I was talking to someone who is a potential client and I, and I asked him this question. I said, so tell me why people buy from you. And then he started telling me all the benefits of their solution. I said that, okay. I said, that's great. I needed that information, but that's after they've already used your product. I'm talking about the time at which they just signed the contract. They hadn't used your product yet. They have seen no value. Why did they decide to buy at that point? He goes, well, I never looked at it like that. Like that's an opportunity for you. And, and that's the whole key to marketing is getting people to see that value before they experience that value. I was just working with a group of interns who have been taking one of my courses and we've been working on how do we improve the marketing message. And they were saying, you know, it's clear in the course, you know, that you're passionate, that you're ethical in the way you look at how you make, how to make money in the stock market investing, you know, but I said, but, but, but the, the, that, that's in the course. That's in the course when they understand how do we communicate that out to the world? And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's fascinating. You know, the other thing I tell the, the listeners out there, I, I know that you are very mature in your emotional intelligence because I've given you some tremendous obstacles to deal with in just getting on this show. <laughs> because on our first time, I had my computer crash and I had to postpone. And then this time I just got caught up in something and I got late to the meeting and you have been a trooper. So I appreciate that very much. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into it. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. I, I would dare to say I was, I, it's, it's important to say that I was willing to lose. Okay, that, that was an important point. This wasn't a situation where I was investing in something where it was a core piece of my investment portfolio. And I'm like, okay, I've got to preserve this, right? So there, I, I didn't worry about it. It was like, okay, let's take some risk, right? And I started looking for those risk opportunities. And I came across a particular organization that was in something that I'm familiar with, retail, and started doing some research on them because they started getting some negative press. I, I looked for, I did some research, initial research on organizations that had the most significant drop in 52 weeks. Okay. I use that as my, my targets to be able to find opportunities in, because as we all know, you know, those that have a big drop, some of them will have a big, you know, V or rebound effect, you know, if, if certain things are correct and in the right position. So I, I picked about five different companies to, to look at. And this one that I finally decided on by all indications, they were making some of the right moves. 
They had some short-term debt issues that they were able to get refinanced for favorable rates. They started pulling in some people that had very extensive backgrounds in the, the retail space. Specifically, they did female, young female apparel. So they were targeting, you know, that 18 to, to 30 year old young female crowd. And, and I'm like, okay, looking at the past experiences of those people that came in and the, and the brands that they were coming from and the successes that they were having, I'm like, you have to assume that those people would not make a decision to jump on a ship that had a bunch of holes in it. Right. I mean, you ha you have to start looking at Makes their, sense. yeah, you have to start looking at their, their pedigree and their experiences and saying, okay, they have to have confidence in this brand. So maybe I will, you know, take on that confidence myself and, and make an investment in, in this particular company. So I did. So I did. And like many things that happen in, 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 the, in the market, well, they went down even further. So I'm like, okay, what do I do with this? Do I just sit tight and let happen what will happen or do I double down? Well, I double down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, if this, if I'm going to do this, you know, I don't, I don't want to just dip my toe in the water. I'm like, I did the research. They're making some moves. These indicators are looking pretty positive. Let's go ahead and make the jump. Did you discuss I, it with your wife? I, I did. I mean, I did because I already also had told her and we had kind of made the decision that, you know, this is, you know, some money that we can play with and take some risks with. Right. But again, it was educated risk. I didn't, you know, throw a dart on the wall and it happened to land on this company's name. That's not the way it worked. I, was, I started looking at all of these particular elements and things started seeing to aligning. And again, going back to that human factor, right? So that, you know, I, I looked at the people who were getting on board and, and hopefully turning this thing in the right direction. And I'm like, you know, they replaced some, sen you know, senior level people. I'm like, okay, it looks like things might be moving well for this organization and so, you know I'd, I'd also highlight that you know the whole purpose of investing kind of fundamental long-term investing is to do exactly what you're describing which is to try to identify the opportunity before everybody else sees it and so when things start to fall if you feel like your story is still there then that is the time you should be putting in more so you know in hindsight we see things differently you know, at, at that time, I think it made a lot of sense. So keep going. Yeah, it absolutely did. And so essentially what occurred after I doubled down, it was roughly about a four or five month period. And then they filed for bankruptcy. I'm like, Dum! oh man, that was a crushing blow. So I think what happened is, you know, some of their short-term debt financing fell through things didn't turn around fast enough for those particular investors. And at the time, looking at this particular co company, uh, the economy was actually, you know, picking up. I mean, and, and so then you look at this group, you're like, okay, if the economies are picking up, why are they having issues? And essentially, I think they just had their funding pulled and there's no way they could survive it. And when they announced for bankruptcy, was the share price still falling? Was it allowed to trade or once they announced it didn't trade anymore, did it absolutely collapse? It was, it was pretty darn quick. And so as far as the actual sequencing, you know, I think it was a scenario where their trading had all had stopped, you know, and then within like a day or two, all of that hit. Yeah. It was gone. <laughs> so tell us, what did you learn from this? About the only thing that I can say, like you said, I mean, the due diligence was there. Yep. I relied on the 
information that was in place. I researched the people who were involved. I mean, it was one of those scenarios that what could I have done differently about the only thing I could have done differently is maybe took a step back and said, well, when you look at retail, you know, where's their e-com scenario? They had an e-com arm. I mean, they had some e-commerce, yeah, yeah. So, but it wasn't robust. And so, you know, maybe, you know, maybe reflecting back, I would have put more weight on that. But again, that's hindsight because I mean, back when this happened, we didn't have the internet the way that we have it now and e-com the way that we have it now. I mean, and this was it to that extent, you know, no, sitting back no. in those days. Yeah, this because this was, I would dare to say this was probably about 12 years ago. Okay. Any other lessons? I I mean, for me, it's the, the lesson was continue to take the risk, be honest with you. Mm. You lose. I mean, don't, you know, don't have your emotions tied so deeply in the loss. It is looking at it and saying, oh, well, you know, I did all the right things. Yep. You know, that should not stop me from doing it again. Do your due diligence, do all the research, you know, you know, look at, you know, look at some of the, the fundamental you know, elements and, and make, make a move. So maybe I'll summarize some of the takeaways that I got from this. I think it's a great story. I mean, the first thing is, you know, play with money that you can lose. So it's an important lesson in investing. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, they play with money they really can't afford to lose. And then that brings in a whole nother emotional element of depression and fear and all that. It's already hard enough, but, you know, when that comes in, it's even harder. Now, the other thing is that what you experience is what we would call in the world of finance event risk. An event happened. In this case, it was bankruptcy, but it could have been a corporate governance event where the owner did something benefiting themselves and harming others. And we see event risks. I mean, I look at stocks across Asia, thousands of stocks across Asia, and event risks happen where corporate governance or something like that happens. Now, generally, I use a stop loss, even as a fundamental person, to say if it falls by a certain percent, even though I may like the story or whatever, I'm just going to get out because I can't figure out what's going on. But the problem with event risk is that events are announced just like that. And then the stock price, either trading stops immediately or the stock price falls 30%, boom, and they can't execute that stop loss. And there's not a lot of ways around it. I mean, you could say, well, I do a lot of corporate governance you know, research, but you know, come on. How much can you do really as, as an investor? It's not easy to do. Now, so event risk is something that we have to watch out for and accept that it's going to come throughout your career. Another event risk that happens is that people make mistakes in their actual orders that they place with the broker. And they make mistakes when they thought they were going to sell, but they didn't. And then they later find out that, oh, I forgot to. And so it's not only company event risk, but we make mistakes. And so you have to prepare for that as an investor, I think, to know that that's coming. I think I really like your response, which is the idea, I'd do it again. And, you know, you got to keep doing it. The third part that was interesting was about, you know, diversification. Now, on one hand, you could say, well, you just bought one stock. You should have bought a portfolio of 10. But the reality is you also said that you, this was a small amount of your overall wealth and that you had decided that you could gamble with this. You could take risks with this. So in that sense, you did diversify. And so it's not as easy or black and white to say, well, you should own more stocks. 
The only last thing that I would say that possibly could have helped is the idea of risk management and the idea of sizing the position and, and going into a position slowly. One way to deal with this type of a situation is that when you find that idea that you really like, just buy a little bit of it, buy 500 bucks of it, just to get it done. Now you own it, boom, okay. So you're not gonna be feeling like you gotta rush into something, you're now in it. And then you look at your next move based upon taking some of that out of it. So those are some of the things that I thought about. Anything you'd add? I think you hit on really good points. And when you think about your expertise, I mean, you're looking at it in a, you know, I guess, I guess you'd say a, a more holistic manner than even I would. Because of, you know, I don't have the extensive background and experience that you have. I mean, so, so for me, I think, you know, the, the, like I said, the most important thing is to, is to say, you know, do it again, because there are opportunities that are existing out there and you've, you've got to make those moves. I mean, I, I actually fired some guy who was managing our portfolio because in a span of say 30 months, he did one trade, hmm. one. And I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, and, and this is, and this was at the time when, when, you know, Google was, had come on board and was just taking off like crazy you know, and all, you know, is, is right at that, uh, right. You know, that pre tech, you know, crash scenario and all these moves were happening. I'm like, what are you doing? I mean, so you, you've got to be constantly moving and living. And that's why it's so hard for an individual investor. I mean, you don't have access to some of the insights and information that the pros have access to, you know, that that's one issue, the tools that they have access to. And you, and you have to be really careful. So for me, what, what I have now is I have somebody managing, you know, a big chunk of my portfolio to do those types of things. And then I still like to dabble. I can't let it go. Yep. Yeah. As I, I'll wrap up this section by saying what mom says, and I think probably all of our mothers and fathers say is you win some and you lose some. That's life. So get back in there. So Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? From suffering the same fate. I think the one that you said is a possibility, which is, you know, do a little bit of dabbling, right? You know, so in other words, invest that, you know, $500 or, you know, whatever the case may be for you that works, you know, and, and see what happens. I mean, that is one option. And the other part is I said, I would think, you know, have an active pool of funds that you're looking and doing some speculating with and learn how to become better at your research from a human perspective. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, that is such a tough question for your story. For most people's story, that question I think is a really kind of easy one, like don't do this or make sure you get a contract, you know, or something. But in your case, you know, I would say you did your research, you know, you did almost everything right, but you know, stuff happens as they say. Okay. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My number one goal for the next 12 months is to take and look at all of these permanent shifts that people think are temporary and make some investments. Because we all know what happens is, you know, when, when things fall, whatever they may be, 
whatever, I mean, it doesn't if matter if we're talking about markets, it doesn't matter what we're talking about. When things fall, there are people who will rise and thrive, okay? And how do they do that, right? They eliminate a lot of those fear, you know, components and elements that we all have within us. Some are self-limiting beliefs. Some of them are past experiences. Like I could easily say for mine, gosh, I did everything I was supposed to. I'm not doing that again, right? I could easily do that. And many of us, that's what happens. And we restrict ourselves and we start thinking about that because that's the well we're drawing water from. I got burnt once. I'm not getting burnt again. <laughs> do that. We, we know that wealth, wealth is actually made in downturns, not up, upticks. Man, that's an inspiration. I think for all of us, I know uh, one of the things that I did in my life when the corona crisis started happening was I knew that my process of selling B2B was going to slow down. And therefore, I shifted my focus to my online courses and creating them and making them better and getting them out to individuals who I knew there are plenty of individuals out there that are looking to learn new things during this time. And so if this downturn hadn't happened, I wouldn't end up with what I think now are pretty awesome packages of great courses. So I think for the listeners out there, you know, I think Jim gives us a good challenge to think about how can we take advantage of this opportunity to make sure that we come out and we thrive from it. So it's a great reminder. So all right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, remember, you can go to myworstinvestmentever.com and also remember to go there to claim your discount on the course that excites you the most. As we conclude, Jim, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Move forward. That's what I can say. Even if you end up taking two steps back from one step forward, it's just temporary. Ladies and gentlemen, there's the challenge for the day. Move forward. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts, and I'm here to tell you I'll see you on the upside.